Welcome to the Mid-Stage Startup Momentum Podcast. Each week, we interview up-and-coming founders of some of the fastest-growing mid-stage startups across the world. Your host is Roland Siebelink, who will share some of his own experience helping startups scale from 10 to 1,000 people in a few years. Here is Roland. Hello and welcome to the Midstage Startup Momentum Podcast. My name is Roland Siebelink and I'm here today with Kieran Menon, who is the CEO and co-founder of Tidy. Hello, Kieran. Hi, Roland. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for joining all the way from Bangalore, I believe, right? Yes, that's right. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show and hoping San Francisco is enjoying good days as well. Much better days than about a year ago, that's for sure. I'm sure that's the same for about everyone in the world. We are far more connected to each other than we think, right? So, uh, but anyway, uh, enough about pandemics. Let's talk about Tidy, uh, Kieran. So what does your company do? Who do you serve? And what huge difference do you make for people in the world? Sure. So Tidy is a SaaS product, a low-code platform, which makes it easy for global HR, IT, and operations teams to collect data integrated across the enterprise IT ecosystem and automate the flow of work, you know, to really drive business results across the employee lifecycle. So large enterprises use a platform like Tidy to automate processes like candidate marketing, onboarding automation, benefits management, uh, offboarding, and also alumni engagement, which is starting to become really important for a a lot of companies, you know, to keep the people who have left kind of keep them engaged. Hopefully they come back or they provide referrals. So Tidy uses a lot of that data to really personalize the entire experience from a employee perspective. And at the same time, you know, companies like Unilever, ABN Bev, Genpact, a lot of them save up to about 40% of their HR tasks, which are reduced, which results in about 18,000 plus man hours saved per company. So it's also a great efficiency booster from a company perspective. Okay, very, very interesting, Kieran. So when you say it's a low-code platform, I'm assuming this means it's not just a standard out-of-the-box SaaS solution. It's really focused on customizing workflows to the specific needs of that large enterprise. Exactly, exactly. And and low-code specifically because we all know large enterprises have you know a ton of different systems, fragmented. Mm-hmm systems that don't talk to each other, a lot of legacy code as well within that ecosystem. And so there are bits and pieces that need to be customized when you get into an enterprise, though 80, 85% of our product is out of the box. There is still an amount of, you know, integration and customization work that needs to happen to really bring together the IT ecosystem within the organization. But the advantage is once that happens, Once Tidy is deployed, it starts becoming really easy for an organization to, you know, plug in and plug out processes, apps, systems, and Tidy really becomes that data backbone for the organization. Very interesting. And you mentioned some very compelling customer names there, Unilever, AB InBev, a few of these others. Can you talk a little bit about the traction that you've had? Yeah, sure. So uh, we started selling it about 2017, early 2017. And uh, we started with a couple of quick POC clients. I think one of the things that we were very sure of from the beginning was that we wanted to 
you know, go after enterprise clients where there was fragmentation. A lot of these problems were very, very prevalent within the organization. And so we were very focused on enterprise clients and it really helped us build the product for enterprise as well. Mm-hmm. And um, long story short, today we're about in 30 plus countries. You know, we do hundreds of thousands of onboardings and uh, process automations across the globe. Um, over a million plus events every quarter that runs through our product. And so from a scale perspective as well, this kind of continues to grow. I think the last 12 months has been significantly good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of companies looking to transform their uh, processes, virtualize, digitize their processes and automate a lot of their employee processes. So we've um, obviously had a good run in the last 12 months as well, and really mm-hmm. starting to see an uptick from, from a traction perspective. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool and very impressive if you've only started selling in 2017, right? So uh, now a lot of the uh, startups and scale-ups that I talk to would love to be selling to enterprises, but yours is one of the few that where the product has really been designed for enterprises from the ground up, as I think you called it. So what makes for a product that is very attractive to enterprises versus more of a box standard SaaS product that in in reality is really built for consumers, prosumers, or small businesses? Yeah, so so I think there are a couple of um, really big differences. One is um, the configurability of Mm. data and reports becomes a, a really big selling point within the enterprise. If you can give them the ability to pull up data, you know, slice it and dice it the way they want with multiple filters, because you're talking about an enterprise that has multiple locations, you know, Mm -hmm. a company like Unilever, a company like Genpact, EXL, um, they're spread across different um, continents. And Mm -hmm. so you need to basically give them the ability to kind of slice and dice the data on the dashboard across all of these different regions, you know, multiple kind of checklists that they need to complete. That's a big, um, I think, game changer from an enterprise perspective. So you need to be really robust from a data infrastructure perspective. The second big thing is security and the due diligence that you go through during procurement when when you're actually going into a new client environment, right? So the security of your infrastructure, the privacy, the you know how GDPR compliant you are, how CCPA compliant you are, what kind of uh, infrastructure fallbacks do you have? So I think those start becoming really really critical from an enterprise mm-hmm. perspective. Um, the third one, which is a smaller nuance, is I would think, you know, it would be very hard pressed to find a company that's sold to a large enterprise and not having had to customize some part of mm. their product or service offering, right? Because um, these are companies which have been around for years, built processes, over 100,000 employees, 50,000 employees, whatever it may be. So there, there are nuances which are very specific to that company. And so there is a need to kind of build a configurability into your product, which will help those companies, you know, mold the product to their process. So I think that's mm-hmm. the third nuance that I would talk about. But yeah, those are the top three. So jumping on that last point, uh, a fight I often see in growing startups, uh, B2B startups, is that... Um, the sales and marketing people would love to start attacking the large enterprises, but the product and engineering people 
hate that fear of customization. Yeah. How has Tidy dealt with that? Yeah. So, I mean, it was interesting for us as well because it was a learning journey. I mean, the three co-founders, we each had about 17 years of, um, you know, working with large corporates before we started Tidy. Mm-hmm. And we'd seen our fair share of all the problems that come when you work in large enterprises. So we knew there was no way to go around the need for configurability because right. that was just a necessary evil. The way mm-hmm. we kind of dealt with it from a technology and infrastructure stack perspective was that we started building, you know, simple things like... Um, if, if you're talking about some of the largest HR systems in the world, mm-hmm. uh, not all of them necessarily have APIs, for example, right. right? And many of the companies would be using legacy versions or different parts of the business would be using different versions. And so we needed to start building generic connectors. We needed yep. to start building generic ways to fetch data and make sense of it on the back end without having to do a lot of manual work. So yep. a lot of the... Um, you know, the data infrastructure that we were building was very specific to actually capturing that data, making sense of it, and then being able to translate that into five different, you know, flows into five different systems. Okay. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I also wonder what is the difference in the pricing approach, the expected close time or lead time for a contract as well, because uh, you know, the many uh, startups that we coach or that I that I facilitate, when they want to move into enterprise, that what they'd really like is for an enterprise to buy many, many more seats without having to go through all the negotiations, right? That's not really reality, right? <laughs> no, it isn't. I, I, I wish it were, but no, it isn't. <laughs> we, we often kind of find ourselves um, looking at, you know, enterprise-wide licensing, which, which kind of uh, comes up very often. We, we also start, you know, finding requests like white labeling because, you know, enterprises want to have everything on their brand. You know, they don't want to have a third party, for example. But one thing we've been really good at till now is sticking to our guns from the brand perspective. So okay. anyone who uses the Tidy product, whether it is a new hire who's getting onboarded, whether it's an HR exec, IT exec, they're mm-hmm. logging into the Tidy infrastructure. So it's a pure SaaS play um once they log in then things start you know getting customized to the business to the branding and all of those things but if you were to download the app it's a tidy app if you were to log in you go to tidy.co and log in uh, so that's one thing that we've been very good at a little you know, bit like slack really yeah exactly exactly uh-huh. yeah so um we've been good at that but i think from a licensing perspective what we've also realized is most companies don't understand this when when they're selling to enterprise but and it's often looked at as a bad thing you know from a valley or a vc mm-hmm. perspective is that there is a 20% whatever the budget is right for that software in an enterprise let's say it's $100,000 Um, 20% of that on top of that $100,000 is always saved as a services cost, an implementation budget, as a deployment budget. And as SaaS providers, what we often think about is that, hey, services revenue is bad revenue, right? It's not really Mm -hmm. recurring. It's it's not the best revenue to kind of show on your books. But what's even more stupid is to leave that $20,000 that, you know, a company has already budgeted for when they're buying a $100,000 software piece. So 
what, right. one of the key things that we kind of keep focusing on is that hey we'll we'll send you the we'll sell you a hundred thousand dollar license for example per year but we're also going to take that twenty thousand dollars services fee as a deployment fee or as an integration fee or as a you right. know go live fee so so i think that's the other nuance that when i speak to a lot of other SaaS founders where something that most people are not aware of at least which which i think starts becoming a very big opportunity to kind of keep increasing the foothold within the enterprise at the moment it sounds like your target pricing is around 100k plus services plus you know that upfront capital budget what are you doing to get to this more like million dollar client range yeah so so there are a couple of things that we have seen um enterprises really help with one is expansion of accounts is a very very real possibility within an enterprise right so you might be selling into a business unit or you might be yeah. selling into a region but the ability for you to really start doing this globally is yeah. a huge expansion bucket that i think you need to start exploring within the first six to nine months of uh, deploying the the product um very often within six to nine months you you are or you should be able to show value and yeah. within those six to nine months you need to start kind of expanding geographically the second thing is once you have a product in an enterprise ecosystem it's very tough especially when there are integrations if you're standalone it's probably easier for them to kind of pull you out but if you have a lot of integrations which kind of um you know run the um uh, flow of work which mm -hmm. they're used to it's very tough for them to take you out so if you are continuing to add value that's base zero and you start adding products on top it becomes imperative for them to start buying those products from you because mm -hmm. it becomes very tough for them to start using multiple vendors right if you are already there integrated you know, in the flow of work, it becomes very tough for them to start, you know, capturing different products and adding it. If you provide the same service, they would much rather go with the devil they know than the mm. uh, <laughs> devil they don't, right? And that um, explains the whole stack model of the likes of Salesforce and Oracle and IBM and all the others, right? Exactly, exactly. It's 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 just super important for you to kind of keep adding products, which will kind of increase the wallet share um, mm -hmm. within the enterprise. So the, yeah, those are the two primary ways. And I think it's actually much easier than most people assume or, or they assume it's going to be very tough to kind of expand within an enterprise. But if you show value within six to nine months, it starts becoming really easy to kind of get that ball rolling. Okay. I have a few like, um, candidates of opposed, uh, concepts for you that I'd like your quick opinion sure. on. Right. So, sure. uh, the first is one salesperson responsible for both landing and expanding or separate salespeople responsible for landing and for expanding. I, I think, you know, given my previous experience and also what we were seeing with tidy, it is two separate roles. Landing is a very different role. It's, um, you know, your hunter kind of uh, approach that you need to go after from an enterprise perspective, try and close it, be quick and go through the process. But upselling and increasing the wallet share is very much a nurturing sort of a role within the enterprise. You need to create that relationship, build that relationship, 
Um, the weird part is you shouldn't look like you're thirsty for money, right? <laughs> you mm-hmm. need to build that relationship once you're um, within the organization and then start building it from there. So, so I think it's two very different roles, at least in my perspective. Okay, very good. And then you talked a lot about uh, customization and um, uh, adaptation, right? Uh, yeah. Two schools of thought there as well. Two separate teams. Uh, so a core product engineering team, completely Chinese wall, isolated from anything customized, or should it be one team that does whatever is the priority? Well, I guess if I knew that answer, I, I would be <laughs> <laughs> I would be at a very different scale. It suffice to say that we're experimenting with it as well internally. Fair enough. I think what we're starting to see is there definitely needs to be a dedicated R&D slash product team. Um, And there needs to be a dedicated um, delivery team. Now, what lies in the middle is something that we're trying to figure out. (laughs) So, yeah. What have been some some key maybe disappointments or things that you've been struggling with uh, other than the, the setup of engineering that you already mentioned? Yeah. I think one of the key things that I would tell, you know, my fellow startup founders or anyone else is, be very sure when you want to raise and how much you want to raise, especially if you're going down the enterprise path, it yeah. is going to take time. You know, it's much easier to build a product for, I wouldn't say it's much easier. It's just different when you need to build a product for SMBs and get it out there, get feedback, you know, and then make quick iterative changes and you continue down that path, you will still go from 10 clients to 20 to 40 to 50. It's not the case with enterprise. So the moment you either you get into the enterprise game, or if you start from enterprise, it is going to take much longer to build the product that an enterprise truly needs. So you need to be well invested. You need to have good kind of capital backing to be able to kind of run that entire process because it will take longer to show results than it would from an SMB perspective. So I think that's a big mm-hmm. learning for us as well, which, okay. uh, which definitely yeah. has a much longer time than, than we would have expected. And thank you for being honest that fundraising is not always the easiest way because I think there's a lot of like the marketing out there that makes it feel like it's great, but many founders privately tell me otherwise. And then in public <laughs> will still say, you know, actually, it was a breeze for us. It was so easy. Our product is just amazing, you know? So. <laughs> I would love to be one of those guys. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, like, let's just say that even the ones who say so in public may have a very different experience when you talk to them in private, right? But I, I think that's part of a little bit of the of the game that's being played. Absolutely. So as a founder, uh, Kieran, what, what lessons uh, personally... Uh, have you learned maybe about yourself as a founder, as a as a startup guy, and as a leader uh, that you would other founders to also think about? Oh, it's 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 tough. It's it's so tough. I mean, uh, as I said, 16, 17 years in the corporate world seemed like a breeze. Um, and and you know, sometimes I do think about why did I even think about getting into entrepreneurship? It's right. it, uh, got a challenge for you every single day. It it seems, and just like you mentioned, right, Roland, is that from a marketing perspective, it just seems so amazing. Start a company, raise dollars, go out, sell it, 
you know, and then uh, live on your yacht and start your second, <laughs> right. uh, second startup, third startup, whatever it may be. But uh, reality is just so different. I think for me, that was the biggest learning about myself as well, is that it requires a huge amount of patience and a huge mm. amount of perseverance. I think if you're not willing to kind of persevere through the journey, it's going to be very, very tough. So uh, you need to kind of be able to do this for eight, 10 years, 15 years. Mm -hmm. It's not a three, four year journey, right? So really, when I started, I thought it was going to be a five, six year journey. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a 10, 15 year journey to make it a success. But one that's exciting every day. That's oh, what yeah, you could absolutely. say about your corporate job, right? <laughs> absolutely. No, no, no. I, 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 as I said, sometimes I think, why did I quit? But most right. of the time I'm saying, I can never go back to a corporate job. I can never go <laughs> You're back. You're spoiled now. Yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> totally spoiled. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, definitely a note of feeling. Um, absolutely. So Kieran, listeners that have made it this far must be very excited about Tidy, right? So where can they find out more about Tidy? Uh, what should they download, if anything? And, and what are you looking for most uh, in terms of what people can help you with? Yeah, sure. So um, tidy.co is the website that they can kind of catch us on, on Twitter and Instagram as well. We're tidyco as an as a handle. Um, so definitely. And you spell that T-Y-D-Y, I believe, right? Yes, that is T-Y-D-Y. Um, okay. <laughs> CO. And, and I think one of the key things that we're kind of looking at at this point, you know, at our stage and growth perspective, we're looking at definitely building a team that can kind of come mm -hmm. in and create this world-class company and, you know, continue to service global clientele, right? And uh, it's it's a very different experience from a startup perspective, because like you said, we're now, we started working with enterprise clients and our product is built for enterprise clients. So the entire kind of thought process, the entire kind of um, um, I would say client interaction and communication is also at a level where we're talking to CHROs and CIOs on a daily basis and, you know, their senior VPs. And so I think we, we're looking at people who could join us. And that's my number one priority nowadays as well, is um, definitely kind of look at people who could join us in, in building this company together. And they have uh, to have the enterprise bug, it sounds like, right? You have yeah, to be exactly. passionate about uh, working with big corporations. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And really making that change, right? So um, it's, it's so interesting because um, we're actually affecting every single individual who's joining one of these companies. And uh -huh. so we actually get a ton of testimonials, not just from the HR teams or the CHR or the CIO. We're actually getting it from freshers who are joining the company saying, this has made my life much easier. And from, you know, people who are joining the companies and working with these companies. Across oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Getting good testimonials causes a, a huge network effect too, right? That yeah. people talk to their friends. That's awesome. Uh, what kind of jobs in particular are you looking to fill most? I think like most of the world, engineering uh, yeah. is, is definitely up there on the list. But, but we were also expanding our sales and marketing team a lot from, okay. a, you know, and especially with a U.S. focus. Um, US so, focus, okay. Yeah. yeah so, so those are two big kind of opportunities. And in engineering, anything particular, any stack in particular people should uh, know? Yeah, so, so we're primarily Angular and Node and uh, fundamentally... A, 
we're also building up our data science team at this point. So, okay. uh, you know, again, we're, we're capturing a ton of data about every single employee. And so we need to be able to kind of churn that from an analytics and insights perspective. So yeah, that's definitely another big area. Very cool, very cool. Okay, Karen. Well, uh, I'll repeat that people can go to tydy.co uh, to figure out everything. Uh, Karen Menon, thank you so much for joining the Midstage Startup Momentum podcast. It was such an honor having you. And thank you, everyone listening. Thank you. Thank you, Roland. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And this has been great. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more hot startups and interviews with some of the highest momentum startup founders in tech today.